Welcome to Culture Jumpers, stories about making the jump from one cultural context to another. I'm Alana Weitz. And I'm Lionel Nicolau. And on this episode, we have the return of our recurring segment, DTW. Does this word have an English equivalent? Yes. I am very, very happy that you're acknowledging the acronym for this segment. For anybody out there, I am doing this under extreme duress. Please get help. No, no. It's the cool way to say it. If you say so. (laughs) Okay, so what's the word? So I realized that as we were putting this season together, all of our episodes so far, for some reason, have kind of had a food theme going on. Hmm. Even our Halloween episode, if you want to count monsters drinking bodily fluids as food. (laughs) So today is no exception. We will have a food-themed word. The word is sobremesa. Sobremesa. Spanish? Yes. Oh, okay. So didn't you take Spanish in high school? We we could do this ourselves. Yes, I took Spanish. You took Spanish. That does not make us <laughs> Spanish speakers. Hey, I have a 400-day streak in Duolingo, okay? So I feel like I could probably do this. So Sobre Mesa, about tables. Done. And thank you for joining us on this week's edition of D2A. <laughs> we'll see you next time. No. Just because we can literally translate it does not mean that we know what the concept of the word is trying to convey. So since neither of us are native Spanish speakers or even good Spanish speakers, (laughs) we're going to phone a friend for this one and get some help. My name is Darian Ryan Perez, antes de casarme, so Perez before I was married, so don't be fooled, my husband's very Irish last name. I'm an assistant director of admissions at Arcadia University. My background is actually in cultural anthropology. I'm going to be talking today about the concept of sobremesa, which uh, we'll get into, but is something near and dear to my heart, so... While we were thinking of potential topics for this segment, I immediately thought of you because we go back a long, long time. Sure do. Uh, (laughs) And I remember we used to talk about Silver Mesa and how you wrote about it as an anthropology major. And I thought this would be perfect for the segment because it's, I think, conceptually, a lot of people from different cultures can sort of relate to it and probably have something close in their own cultures, but I don't know that a lot of cultures have a word for it. So can you tell us, first of all, what Sobremesa is, what culture it comes from, and then we'll kind of get into it from there. Absolutely. So quite literally, it means over the table, Sobremesa. Some people may literally translate it as on the table, Um, but the meaning behind the word is actually hearkening to this kind of social interaction and discussion period that takes place both over the meal and after the meal. And it's particular to Spanish and the greater Hispanic communities. I would say that the origins in terms of like the coining of the word really probably started in Spain, um, where there was really this period after kind of your very heavy lunch, particularly because in Spain they eat three like a three-course heavy meal around midday, it became this way of kind of people sitting, digesting and having really meaningful conversations either about work or family or their days. Instead of taking a siesta, which like honestly, it sounds like the worst thing that you could possibly do is like lay down (laughs) after eating like a heavy meal. But, you know, these interactions aren't limited just to family and friends. 
business discussions um, can be considered a sobremesa experience. And the idea is really that you're using the food and the experience of eating the food as a vehicle to really create some sense of understanding and unity. And the act of eating is very intimate. So in partaking in a meal, you kind of take a lot of boundaries down and everyone kind of becomes equalized over the experience of eating. Even the quality of the food can be changed by the discussions that you're having and the fact that you're with people. So, you know, think about when you go to a restaurant by yourself and you're scrolling on your phone and kind of being sad in a corner. But the moment you're having that same meal with a whole bunch of people and people are laughing and people are exchanging stories, like even the food sometimes tastes better. It's just the atmosphere that surrounds it. So just a question about the logistics. Is sobremesa something that kind of happens organically and spontaneously? Or when you're giving out the invite, we're going to have dinner next week and this is going to be a sobremesa. Is it something that's planned or does it just kind of pop up? It's definitely a very natural, like organic transition. There are kind of no limitations to that. When you're having the meal, there's an expectation that there's this conversational component that's going to continue. So I've never approached a family meal and been like, I'm going to get in and out. And actually, that's something that my husband, Adrian, had to very much get used to. So he would come to the table and he would eat all of his food and he would get up and he would leave. And I remember the first time he did this, my family was like, what? What just happened? And I was like, Adrian, why'd you leave? And he's like, well, I finished my dinner. My plate is empty. And for him, like, that was like the cue to leave. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, there's a whole, there's a family bonding thing that's happening here that you just like walked out of. And he was like, I just don't understand, but the food is done. And I'm like, but the conversation isn't. Um, And I even think about how in American restaurants, it's very much like, here's the check on the table, like, get you out the door. In places like Spain, even in Italy, when my husband and I were over there, there's this expectation that people are going to sit there for three or four hours and eat. In fact, like the menus are kind of built that way. So you'll see like it says like second course, third course, fourth course. And of course, my husband, again, thought that this meant that he should have like three dinners. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, if you sit here for four hours, you can have three dinners. And he gained like many pasta pounds while we were in Italy. But yes, and I was like, no, the expectation is that while people are there conversing and, you know, like the time is ticking down, okay, you get another plate because now you're hungry again because you've been talking for a really long time. And there's not this expectation that like you guys are getting out the door. So I think that that's something that culturally is a very big shift versus like the transaction of the meal. It's very much focused on the atmosphere. Has your husband gotten used to it or is he still kind of the weird one? Yeah, I think like there's an expectation like now like he knows this is what's going to happen and he tries to be engaged. It's not to say that sometimes he doesn't like zone out and you can see like in his head when things shut down and he's just in his own world. (laughs) But, But again, he has the excuse that he doesn't speak the language always. But then like when he's with my relatives who do speak primarily English, he can't get away with it. But he's gotten better at, I think, engaging and understanding that like what he's hearing are tidbits of my past and our family's past. And like now that, you know, we're a combined household, this is part of the narrative of my son. Like this is his background. So I think the importance is there in a way that wasn't before. Are there any specific requirements for sobremesa? Like, does it have to be a certain kind of food? Are there any rules about discussions that you can have, things you can't talk about? I would say anything really goes. Like, <laughs> I've had all sorts of sobremesa experiences, and that can be around a formal meal, but it can also be 
my Cuban family does this a lot. So our cafecito period where people go and they like brew really strong Cuban espresso that's like heavily sugared and they hand them out in these little shot cups are like really tiny and everybody kind of partakes in like the sip of the coffee and it's not giving you any sort of caffeine rush or anything. It's really about the opportunity to engage over the coffee and it symbolizing this kind of wind down period. And people talk about, you know, family anecdotes. They talk about, you know, oh, what's so-and-so up to or what happened this week at work. Sometimes it'll even stem like into political discussions and things like that. But again, it's everyone's coming to the table as an equal and there's an openness to the discussion that doesn't really inhibit anything from being brought to the table. So you brought up your Cuban side of the family doing things, your mother and father are from different cultures. So can you talk a little bit more about where their families are from and if there are any similarities or differences in how they approach Sopra Mesa? Yeah, absolutely. So my mom's side is Dominican and my father's Cuban. And, you know, I would say there's a lot of the same interactions happening. The food may be different, but, you know, even like that cafecito, they do it in the Dominican Republic as well. It's not as often. I think a lot about my mom was talking about how in the Dominican Republic, when you had like a big meal, people often have several drinks afterwards as they're having these discussions and that her relatives always had a stew called sancocho on the stove as like a after meal drunk man's food to help you sober up <laughs> when you've inevitably had too many drinks. And like this is just something that like people did. So it was expected that you were going to get a little tipsy and there would be like some stew for you to eat and kind of sober up at the end. But, you know, I, I think that that always stuck with me. But, you know, little things like that where the anticipation is that you're going to be there for a prolonged period. But I would say that overall, like the experiences are pretty similar on both sides. There are certain foods that are kind of specific to certain events. So like on the Cuban side for Nochebuena, so Christmas Eve, we have bacalao la vizcaína, which is a salted codfish stew. Um, which I like anytime I eat that, it immediately evokes memories of family. But it's something that we only eat really during that time period. So for me, it was always like a really special treat. It was the one dish my grandma could make really well and not burn. So, you know, also good. Um, but, you know, even during these soda missa experiences, sometimes food will bring you back to a particular moment or memory just because the taste or the smell or whatever is so evocative. So even, you know, you might not be aware of it, but while you're engaging in the food and the consumption, like it's solidifying the memory and the experience for you. So do you feel like your family does silver message? Um, I don't know if we have a word for it, but I feel like my family definitely does. We'll sit and talk for a while after finishing eating. Do you think that's because your family comes from the Philippines, which was under Spanish colonialism? Or is it just a wider cultural thing? I think even a Chinese side does it too. Well, even Portuguese like... Alana's <laughs> <laughs> well, like, let's talk about colonialism. <laughs> um, actually, that's a good question. So like... Would you say this is all Spanish cultures? I would say of of the folks that I know who come from various continents and various countries that it's a pretty universal experience. And again, they might not even know, like if I came up to them and said, oh, you're sobre mesaing, like they might be like, what are you talking about? But like there's, 
if you describe it to them, they're like, oh, yeah, like, of course. Again, like certain European cultures, they do it as well. I mean, even in the Middle East, I'm thinking in Turkey, like, again, the coffee experience is a big thing. Um, But I would say like a lot more people engage in this practice without knowing that it exists. Yeah, I feel like my family definitely doesn't have a word for it. And I don't know if it's like my family thing or like a Jewish thing. But I know anytime our family gets together, we're going to be there for hours If people get drunk enough, the same like stories and jokes are going to come up that always come up. We're going to try to leave a few hours later and everybody's going to have a second conversation in front of the car and it's going to be another 45 minutes. (laughs) It's just it's an ordeal. (laughs) I noticed that your family has some really long goodbyes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And even like during Passover, when we get together for the Seder, there's actually a part of the ritual where you break for dinner and then you come back to the prayers to finish everything afterwards. And we'll just end up talking so long over dessert that we're like, hmm, maybe we should go wrap this thing up so that we can get the kids home before like midnight. Oh, yes. Now, it's always harder than children, too. So like as you're as an adult, I feel like hey, you could come with this expectation. But with children, it's like, I mean, trying to get a child in general to sit at a table is hard. But um, in <laughs> my mom said that when she was younger, the children would try to inter- interrupt. And the thing that they would always say to her is. Los niños hablan cuando las gallinas man, which means literally children speak when hens piss. And for <laughs> those who don't know, hens don't actually urinate. So the concept being that children should interrupt never. For children too, there's this expectation that you're sitting there and kind of absorbing the family history and like even learning from the social interactions. And you think about the things that you're not aware that you're taking in like table etiquette and who sits next to who. And it's like you're letting your elders speak. And it's just a lot of secondhand knowledge is being thrown at you that I remember very distinctly as a child soaking this up. And like, I can't tell you all the conversations that happened, but I remember the family unit and this being a big thing and a sense of belonging that was like, really quite pleasing to me as a child. Is there a silver mesa that stands out in your mind as being either like the funniest thing that's ever happened or maybe the most horrific thing? Like maybe there is like a huge <laughs> argument that breaks out from it. I mean, it is always a possibility when you get people with loose tongues at the table. Um, of course, like every cringeworthy silver mesa experience I ever had came from my grandmother who, as you know, Abuela, my, my Cuban grandmother, she was like five foot, had the mouth of a sailor on her. I'd like to attribute her like boldness and unfilteredness to her old age, but really that's just who she was. Um, <laughs> so, of course, anytime she was there, the other thing is, too, there's a sense of respect for like your elders and the matriarchy within the family. So, you know, what grandma says goes and everyone's has to stay at the table until she at least like makes her exit. So we were hosting her niece uh, from Florida around New Year's and we were all having a meal together. And um, somehow the topic turned into a discussion about my grandmother's brother, who was, you know, her father. And her niece is talking about how her father had always been such an exemplary figure. And my grandmother, again, having no filters and inhibition, said, you know, that's not the case. I mean, he cheated on your mother after all. And she was like, she's like, what? That's not true. And she's like, I think I would know it's my brother. We all got silent and we're all like, how do we interrupt this? Like, how do we make it go away? Meanwhile, her niece is like, 
going through all the stages of like denial, grief, anger, like everything very quickly. And we're like, oh, my God, oh, my God. My grandmother just like takes a sip of the bubbly that we had out on the table like nothing happened. And then turned to someone to talk about like a telenovela episode that had recently aired when she herself had just like set the grounds for like a telenovela herself. Wait, was this new news to everyone or was it like? Yeah, no, I mean, like my grandmother knew and it had never been like common knowledge, at least amongst the younger generation. But I guess like. The older generation knew, but her niece did not. And, you know, I was like, just like way to destroy the memory of she's like, but it's my brother. I would know. And, you know, he he wasn't as great as you thought. So also, I love how she's like, let me just drop this nugget out of nowhere and destroy everything and then go back to what I was talking about. Five minutes. And that's exactly what it was. It, like she just dropped it like it was just like real casual information, like went about her life, completely changed to talking about TV. And we're like, you can't break people's lives down and just keep <laughs> going but when you're sobremesing apparently you can so these things happen hashtag family (laughs) but overall like for me the sobremes experience has always been very happy like the one thing that i remember is like a lot of family a lot of good feelings my grandfather you know singing and people recounting these glory days and to me, it's, it's just such a beautiful experience to be able to partake in that and to take in a little bit of like your family history and the story of who everyone is. So usually this is the part where we try to come up with some sort of English equivalent. So I'm just thinking about it as you were talking, um, Thanksgiving dinner talk. But that's like a one time a year thing. It's kind of a similar dynamic, right? It is a similar dynamic in that you're bringing like your relatives and everyone together for like a prolonged meal and discussion. But it's like Thanksgiving all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Minus the delicious food. I mean, there's still delicious food, but it's not the same quantity. Also, is sober mess of one word? Yes. Or is it two mm-hmm. words? Okay. So that was a phrase. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I have a phrase that sort of kind of not really works and it's kind of new. Have you heard the expression wine and wine? No, but uh, that's hilarious. <laughs> so W-I-N-E, mm-hmm. W-H-I-N-E. And it's kind okay. of like, I think it's like usually supposed to be like girl talk when you get the girls together on like a random weeknight with a bottle of wine. And you like vent about all of the relationship things and work things that have been happening. You know, I could see that, you know, like same way over our cafecito. Like, again, we're using food and drink as a vehicle for these social interactions. And I mean, who doesn't want to whine and whine? That's pretty (laughs) hilarious. I'm going to adopt that. What about chit chat? But does it, I think the, the unique thing about sobremesa is the fact that it refers to the table. So it inherently brings in the food aspect. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I feel like chit chat is just small talk and that can happen anywhere. Right. And then wine and wine is like alcohol only. I mean, it doesn't have to be. (laughs) It makes it more fun, but. Who doesn't love alliteration? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Water cooler talk. I mean, that's a phrase, but that's kind of similar, right? It's more of an office setting. I mean, those same topics could be broached. I feel like it's still missing a little bit of that element of the trust building and the it's more like Mm -hmm. I encountered you here. Let us have a conversation versus like meaningfully interacting. (sighs) That's kind of all I got. (laughs) 
I think what Darian politely is trying to say is that you fail. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I really, I feel that there's a uniqueness to the way that the term brings in both the food and the socialization aspect in a way that I don't think that we're able to really capture in English. But we should. All right. So as the judge, Darian, does this word have an English equivalent? I'm going to say no. Not a true equivalent. If you could create an English word for it, do you have any candidates? Yeah, I'm not that clever. <laughs> I'll sleep on it. Today's episode of Culture Jumpers was hosted, produced, and edited by Alana Whites and Lionel Nicolau. Music was by Alana Whites. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps new listeners discover the podcast. This episode marks our mid-season finale. We'll be taking a few weeks off for the holidays, but we'll be back in January with brand new content for you. We hope you all have a wonderful holiday season and a happy and healthy new year. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Get, give us more horror stories. <laughs> oh, gosh, no. Give us more family chismes. Yeah. Sometimes it can be like an intimidating family dinner, like my prom date came over and had to sit at a family dinner with us. And his name was Bryce and he showed up late to the dinner. My dad's like, hello, Bryce. And he's like, my name is Bryce. And he's like, yeah, but Bryce is what you're going to be in if you do anything to my daughter. And then everyone was like, awkward.